Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Susan Toller Carr. She runs an organization called Justin Carr Wants World Peace. She blogs and she has this really inspiring mission of helping teenagers, high school and college students with mental health issues, distress and depression that a lot of times happens under the surface that parents maybe don't know about because the kids just say that it's fine. And she's kind of developed this really inspiring expertise in helping kids deal with that and also in finding things that they're passionate about, finding a major, finding a college where they will thrive and to figure out what they want to do with their lives. So really excited to talk to her about all of that and more. Susan, thank you so much for being here today. I can't wait. Thank you for having me, Andy. So... I'm really curious how there's this whole like movement, this whole organization that you've started, Justin Carr Wants World Peace. I'm interested to hear about that and about the story behind that, how it started, what you're doing. And then you also do college admissions, kind of uh, helping people with the college admissions process, which is huge for parents of teenagers today. So I'm also really interested to hear about that, how you got started in that, how long you've been doing that, and kind of uh, what that looks like for you. Okay, well, it'll be five years on February 22nd, uh, 2013, that I got a phone call from my son, Justin. He was at swim practice at Harvard Westlake School in L.A., and he said, oh, Mom, I'll see you later. I'm getting ready to jump in the pool with my phone. And so a few minutes later, I get, like 30 minutes later, I got a call from his best friend's mom, and she goes, where are you? And I said, I'm at work. And she said, something happened to Justin. And I screamed in my office. I was working at uh, USC in the construction and uh, capital development department. I'm an engineer by degree. So the call came through. I screamed. I ran. I'm working at USC. Justin's school is way on the other side of town. And I run across the street and I get in my car and people are calling me. And she just said, oh, he hurt himself. And so drive clear across town, get to this hospital. There's hundreds of kids out in front. And when I went inside, my husband was banging the wall and the doctor grabbed me and said Justin had died. And he was swimming for his usual swim practice and they said he just went down. And so of course, life changed in a second and it was unimaginable. I think I was in a daze and you know, my husband got sick soon after he was in the hospital. So the phone started blowing up, people were calling and I had no idea because he was you know, 6'3" healthy, strong, singing and dancing right before he dove into the pool. He had been swimming since he was in third grade and had no idea what happened, and they said there was something wrong with his heart. So it was a a life-altering experience. Uh, We went through the motions. It just, you know, shattered everybody's dreams. And so the following year, you know, of course, we were in the throes of watching people from the sidelines go through the college experience, and it was like, horrible. It was so painful. 
And then I started getting calls from Justin's friends talking about the stress and pressures that they were under, and I had no idea. Mm. I thought everybody in the school was happy and had so many social activities and the whole bit. Okay. Mm-hmm. For them to call you and to share these deep things that are going on with them that they maybe haven't shared with other adults, what do you think it was? Well, you know, like I always made Justin's lunch. A lot of parents didn't cook for their kids. And so they also started piecing together their last days and times with Justin and how I thought I worried about him because he always mm. said, it's hard being me, mom. I'm black. I'm 6'3". And I don't play football or basketball. I'm a swimmer and I'm a creative artist. And instead of telling Justin, no, you have to play basketball or you better play football, we allowed him to be who he was. So mm-hmm. we embraced his abilities. When he was four, the teacher said, you need to find an art program for him because this kid is super smart in the arts. And he just does, does some terrific stuff. And so that was one thing we always did. And with that, it was painful because people would tell him, you don't act black. You don't do things that black kids do. Uh, you're swimming. Black people don't swim. Why do you like that? And you're an artist. You're weird. So these kids saw this, I guess, or him talking yeah, about yeah. it. And then they started reaching out. So the first student who called me, she was a freshman at Georgetown. She told me that she was with Justin the last two hours of his life. She tells me the story how she wanted to write a children's book, but she didn't want to fail in the eyes of her parents. And Justin Mm. told her, my parents, let me do whatever. You should write that book. So she goes off to Georgetown and she said she had a miserable first semester where everybody was walking around like walking encyclopedias and bragging about these majors they had no interest in. It just sounded good. She said, but who are you? What is your passion? Mm. So she changed her own major from finance and econ, what her parents wanted her to do. She changed it to um, art history, which that was her joy. So she said by the end of her freshman year, a lot of kids came and thanked her for helping them realize what was important and who they were. And she told them, don't thank me, thank my friend Justin. So they all knew about who Justin was. After she called and some other situations happened, I wrote a blog. And the blog that I wrote, the first one was, dancing is not to get a place on the floor, but to enjoy every step along the way. There's a reciprocity thing, and there's a number of studies showing this. When someone shares with someone else something like really deep about them, or a, a flaw or something that they got wrong, um, it makes the other person feel like they want to open up as well. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a way, it sounds to me like you had this tragic thing happen to you that other people in seeing your pain and hearing your story felt comfortable sharing the deep things that were going on with them that they were struggling with, with you, that almost like allowed you to see behind the curtain or get past the kind of BS self that we put on for the world sometimes that says everything is okay and to really see people and to see their struggle. Yeah, I think that the pain that my husband and I experience every day, we walk in our house, we look around, we see Justin everywhere and he's not here. You know, don't get me wrong. I was a vegetable for many months. I couldn't cook, I couldn't go out, couldn't do things 
clearly couldn't do things that Justin liked. At some point, there was an opening through all this cloud of despair that we had. And so us sharing our grief and when people asked how we felt, and I didn't say, oh, fine. I told them exactly how I felt at that Mm. moment. I cried yesterday. I want my baby. Whatever it was, I was open and honest with our grief and loss. And that's something that people walk around and they say, oh, I'm fine. It's just someone says, how are you? Automatic. Fine. Great. I'm fine. Yeah. Yes. No matter what. And so I started realizing, so that people came to us, they go, how could this woman be concerned about other people's kids? So yes, with this grief and loss and sharing it and clarifying it, because people just assume that people have grief because of a death. But there's 40 different types of grief and losses that people go through that are emotional, just like a death. And it could be from a loss of a pet, a move, a divorce, a relationship, an illness, a job, all these things people have. And it's an emotional loss. It's almost like they had a death of a physical person. So once I got educated and realizing what grief really was and what's the difference between loss and grief and people think, oh, you should be better now. It's a year. Or he lived a good life and all these Uh, myths that people throw out at you. And so that's something that's really important even for teachers and parents to see because there's a lot of hidden traumas that kids and students have that they hold on to and they say they're fine. And they're really so much pain, especially now with today's climate that's going on inside of them. I think that's so cool. Parents in general want to put on this image to their kids, I think that they don't struggle with things. And parents feel like they have to be almost perfect in a way that they they can't really like show their flaws to their kids. Mm -hmm. But there's something so powerful about being able to be vulnerable and to share your pain with your kids and your flaws. And I think parents will find the same thing that you found, which is when you're able to do that and not just say, hey, I'm fine, everything's fine. But when you're able to be vulnerable like that, it makes your kids wanna share their struggles with you too, right? It's a yeah. it's reciprocal. Close to 100%. There's also 99.9% of, of Justin's peers at his school and outside of his school, unknown peers, people I didn't even know, everybody is dealing with something. Everybody. Sure. So once you realize, and I've been sharing it with people, and I tell parents, I said, would you rather have an unhappy child at Yale or a happy child at Pasadena Community College? And you know what the mm. parents said, right? Send them to Yale. Send them to Yale. <laughs> and if you look at the pervasiveness of mental health that these college campuses are experiencing, it didn't just start when they started freshman year. A lot of this stuff has been building up for many years of the rat race to try to be successful And, you know, when I was growing up, my parents didn't know my GPA, nor did they share that with other parents. Now, these parents today, what's your kid's GPA? What's their SAT scores? I'm like, really? It's like their stats. That's the stats. They're a baseball player, and you got to keep track of their on-base percentage. Yeah, yeah. I had no clue because I never looked at Justin's homework. After he passed away, we found that he was national mayor, and I about fell out. No, he didn't have a 5.0 or a 4.0 GPA. But he understood and he had critical thinking of what he was learning. And so nowadays, I just talked to some college kids the other day. They said they don't have time to learn. They go, the way you get your good grades was how good of a memorizer you are. Yeah, right. 
And then people don't want to share and they don't want to collaborate because you have to hold it close to the chest. Yeah, As if I can't yeah. tell them, then they'll be better than me. So that's the, the mentality that we have right now. So what are some ways that parents add stressors to their kid's life? Or are there things that parents are doing that we could just kind of cut out and that would lighten the load that we're placing on our kids? Or Did you do your homework? What about grades? What about this? What about that? Instead of just saying, hi, did you laugh today? What made you smile? How about pulling it away from the classroom discussion? Mm. You might get more information out of the child. Instead of saying, how are you? You know they're going to say, fine. But you can have a, a, a ask them a question that doesn't respond at yes or no answer. Mm, open ended question. Open ended yeah, question. Like or you could share your thoughts about you know this happened to me today, or I saw this happen with this parent, and this kid was doing that. Whatever, just to get them engaged because these kids they roll their eyes because all the parents are concerned about is the taskmasters to do the homework and to get the best grades. I just thought that was so important what you were talking about. Uh, with the ways of getting kids to open up. I mean, I just love the idea of what was something that made you smile today. I wonder if you have any other ideas of other ways to get a kid to open up if they're kind of quiet or to get them talking. Okay, so typically, you know, when someone says, oh, you know, my cat died and the parent's initial thing will be, well, let's go get another one. Well, you know, sometimes you can't replace a loss or I broke up with my boyfriend and then they'll say, well, he was no good anyway. Well, for that child, those are real emotions that they have. So, you know, there's certain things that you can say. Don't say everything happens for a reason or don't feel sad. You know, here's a cookie. You can't replace a feeling and yeah. you can't really compare their lives to others. And you can't say, I know what you're going through. So when people have said to me when we lost Justin, oh, my, my father died. I know how you feel. Well, they really don't know how I feel. Mm. And actually, how I feel and how my husband feels, people think it's the same. It's not because we had two different relationships with Justin. We had our own. And a loss is unique to that person. So yeah. basically, you know, sometimes you have to just listen with your heart and not your head. And just be patient. You can't force a conversation. But there's ways to ask, you know, if they see that someone's being is dejected or withdrawn. There's things. And you can't say... Well, let's go on vacation and they'll feel better. You need to get to the heart of it. When you see something, you should say something. You talked about what not to do when a kid shares something with you. How might you respond to that in a, a more constructive way? You know, you could say, you know, how long have you been feeling like this? Have you talked to anybody about this? And you, the one thing that I tell people, even, you know, other parents that I've met that have lost their kids, you could say, I can't imagine how painful and devastating this must be for you. For you. Yeah. You, you don't know. So basically, as I said, be a heart with ears and listening to them and ask them a question that you can get more than a yes or no. People told us, well, you can adopt. Can you have more kids? Why don't you foster kids? As if I can replace my just. That just somehow makes it all better. We makes just it all get better. a new one. So <laughs> I learned how to express it and educate people. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. so losses are no matter if the illness a pet, a move, just like a child who has to move. Their parents have to move to another state. And they'll tell the kid, well, you get to go to a bigger school or you get a bigger room. Well, for that kid, they like the room in the street they live on. So that yeah. changed. So yeah. losses are anything that affects your normal pattern. So if you're normal, supposed to be at this school and live on this street, 
when you have to move, yes, it might be for, for the good, but it's still an emotional loss. And people yeah. need to think about that. So you know the, the, the you could tell the, the the so the kid who who broke up with the boyfriend her their grief is gonna be like crying in public, crying in the car, crying while they're watching TV, you know, crying at school. That's natural. Yeah. So you can't take away the natural, you know, you can't discount it, and that's the way we've learned that we've been doing is discounting the the natural that that's there and we shouldn't have to do that right oh you'll be okay or oh yeah, oh, yeah. No, we'll make it better right, right? Yeah. just be honest you know as i said when you know you'll get a better boyfriend you'll get a better job you know you'll get like a better house and those are those aren't truths you know those are a lot of mm. myths they're intellectually they come out as oh yeah that sounds right, but for me, dealing with that pain and emotion is, is not connecting. And people, other parents who have lost kids that I deal with, I don't know how they feel. We don't have the same pain because yeah. we have two different relationships, two different kids. So I can't say, I feel you. And I'll never say that again after I learn the right ways and what was really, you know, the, the real truth. That's so interesting because, I mean, one of the things that teenagers say all the time is, oh, my parents just don't get me. They don't understand what I'm going through, right? As a parent, you want to show them that you do, you know, oh, I, I get it. But it's funny, like, as, as you say that, it makes me realize that by saying, oh, I understand what you're going through, you're almost kind of proving that you don't, right? Or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your, your teenager is just thinking, no, you, you, no, you don't. You like, don't. and, and they're right, right? And like you say, it's valid because even if you at the same age went through the same thing, you don't know how it's affecting your teenager specifically. Mm-hmm. And assuming that you do is naive and maybe a little arrogant, right? But yeah. but we do. We're here talking with Susan Carr on the Talking to Teens podcast, but we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. I have been in contact with kids from every Ivy to JC colleges, and they all have something going on. And just because they're at the Harvard and the Yales and the Princeton and Cornell, it only gets stiffer because they feel that they have to act a certain way and be a certain way. And all you have to do is Google mental health and suicides on these campuses and you'll see. So I really want to talk about this because I feel like so many people today talk about, oh, yeah, kids need to find their passion and you got to, you know, let them uh, study what inspires them. But you actually have practical experience and I wonder, have you noticed any trends or certain things that you do with students when you're trying to work with them on this to get them to experience new things or to get them to start thinking about what their aptitudes are or, or, or what's your process with that? So I have one student who's getting ready to graduate from the University of Michigan and her junior year in high school, she got hurt and she hurt her knee so she couldn't play her sport anymore. So while she was recovering, she was working with the physical trainer, and this girl liked science and math, and the physical trainer was like, well, why don't you major in kinesiology? So she goes, oh, okay. So she sure. applies to the University of Michigan. She gets into kinesiology, honors program, and she wasn't quite what she wanted. She did well. She took a gap semester the next sophomore year and went to Indonesia, and she wow. lived out in the environment like Tarzan and Jane. When she came back, I spoke with her and she said, can you tell me about environmental engineering? 
And so we talked about that and I said, so what do you like to do? And she goes, I'm really interested in natural habitats and how to sustain these environments and have let these people thrive. She was at University of Michigan. So I went on and I found this major at Michigan. It was called Program in the Environment. So hers wasn't engineering per se. It was a technical aspect and also a written aspect. And she loved writing. So I said, look at this. So she was able to make contact with the dean. And she was able to transfer into that major. Loves it. She spent time in Panama. She spent time in South Dakota on farms. She just got published. Mm. She's one happy camper. So that is something, that's a success story that I'm proud of that started out as just talking to them. And that's what I always tell kids. What's your story? doesn't have to be cookie cutter like everybody assumes, but what is your story? How would you share your story? And that's what you need to do. So they may have the, the brain smarts, but as far as how do you actually build and put something together, that's what they were looking for. So that was something people go, oh, if I maintain all these A's and all these things, then I'll be better. And that doesn't always work. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable. And your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.